only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Welcome back to uh, the Renaissance. Uh, my name is Cameron Riley. With me, as always, is my uh, male uh, co-host. <laughs> male? <laughs> I was going with male <laughs> wife there, but I, I don't know, got distracted. Pod partner. Ray Harris. Hello, Ray. Hello. How's it going? That's good, Ray. Yeah. How are you, Ray? Uh, it's hour three, so very little of this will make sense, but it should be entertaining. Hopefully, by the time uh, you hear this, you have all gone to our Redbubble store. Do it. Just Google uh, Redbubble Life of Caesar, Cam and Ray, any one of those, and got yourself one of my dick-tickling coffee mugs (laughs) or um, T-shirts. Please. They will be the official official gift for all of our shows from now on will be the dick-tickling coffee mug. So leave us a review. Uh, on iTunes, if you want to, if you haven't bought one and you want a gift, you want a gifted one, the Dick Tickling Coffee Mug. That's right. So, uh, last episode, we talked about how um, Augustine got a little bit of Dick Tickling from Ambrose and uh, decided, yeah, his best friend Alpius mm-hmm. uh, said bros before hoes, convinced him not to marry the 12 year old. Augustine's. Kicked out his 15-year lover because his mummy told him to. She told, started banging some other chick on the side while he was waiting for the 10-year-old to grow into a 12-year-old so he could bang oh, her because yeah. that's what his mummy wants him to do. Then he decides that he's going to shack up with his buddy uh, Alpius for the love of wisdom, <laughs> which is code for ass-fucking, I think. Um <laughs> And he converts to Christianity as a way of getting out of having to get married. I think he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to be celibate. Now, being celibate had nothing to do with Christianity, uh, really, up until this point. There's a little, you know, there's a bit about it in Paul, which we'll talk about. Um, but most Christians were married. Christian bishops were married. Christian priests were married. Everyone was married. There was nothing. There was no. You got to be celibate. Part of being a Christian. At this juncture, um, you know, so uh, you know, Ambrose uh, had a wife. Yeah. Ambrose fucked around. This this was the done thing, but um, you know, maybe maybe the celibacy he just he was going to cut off women, but not other possible avenues of um, kernel knowledge. I don't know. He just, I mean, yeah. Where, where's the celibacy coming from? Is this to help him focus on his studies or whatever? It, I mean, is, is there any kind of clear explanation why he makes this very radical change? Well, yes, there is. We'll get into that. Um, okay. And, you know, I think uh, part of it, again, reading between the lines, is he felt bad about dumping his lover of 15 years and um, uh. didn't didn't know how to say no to mummy about marrying the 10-year-old. But if he said to mummy, oh, mummy, I'm becoming a Christian now and uh. I want to devote myself to Jesus, then <laughs> she might back the fuck off. So give her what she wants, with it, which is him becoming a Christian, um, but then say I'm not going to marry the 12 year old because it would be rubbing salt in the wound of my other lover. I think I'm reading yeah. between the lines. That's how I'm picking it up here. Anyway, how did he become a Christian? Well, 
apart from his um, boyfriend, Al Pius, saying, um, <laughs> let's Just get a love shack the together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Ambrose and a bit of dick tickling and all this sort of stuff. He, he says in his autobiography confessions that he heard a childlike voice telling him to take up and read. Now, my first thought was, well, maybe that was the 12 year old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's hot. That's yeah. hot. Uh, he's 12 took, now, so nobody can get mad at me. He, he took it as a divine command to open the Bible, right. which he did. And, he, and the, he opened it up randomly. The first thing he saw was a page from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, which says, Let's behave decently as people who live in the light of day. No wild parties, drunkenness, sexual immorality, promiscuity, quarrelling or jealousy. And Augustine thought, oh, fuck, dude, he's I've watching me. Yeah. yeah. Or I not, feel like not fuck. Yeah. To be more accurate. No more fucking, he thought. <laughs> now. If he'd taken time to read the previous two verses of that same epistle, right. he might have waited before he converted, because they read as follows. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Because Paul believed when he wrote the epistle to the Romans, probably in the late 50s, most scholars think, mm -hmm. that the world was going to end any fucking minute now. <laughs> so what Paul was saying was don't, have wild parties and get drunk and, you know, have lots of hot, hot sex um, because Jesus is coming. So just get ready for that. Jesus is going to be here any day. He's going to come on oh. riding in on a, on, a, on a horse, shooting rainbows out of his <laughs> hands, and that's what's important. So fuck, fuck all this other shit. Stop worrying about... Money and, and your job and, and fucking and whatever. None of that matters. The world is coming to an end any minute now because it was an eschatological cult. It was, it was a apocalyptic cult, Christianity, in the early days when Paul and the, and the, other, and the gospel writers were working, were, were alive and were writing. So that's why you weren't supposed to do those things because it was the end of the world was going to happen tomorrow. Um, then it didn't happen, and it still didn't happen, and it still didn't happen, and it still didn't, still, still, still didn't happen. Um, but Augustine w didn't read that and just thought, all right. Anyway, he used this as an excuse anyway in, in his uh, right. confessions why he was giving up sex. Um, I mean, if Jesus. you thought the world was going to end tomorrow, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Would you be abstaining from sex or would you be fucking your brains out, getting shit-faced drunk, punching people you don't like in the face, having sex with animals, snorting every possible drug you can get your hands on? Yeah. Well, it, it depends on how it's explained to me. If, they, if someone says, you shouldn't come because Jesus is, 
Like, am I, do, do I have my toga around my ankles? I'm banging the maid, you know, against mm-hmm. the washer and Jesus just walks in the room or is yeah. he going to snap his fingers and I'm going to be snatched up to heaven with my Jesus toga around is, my ankles? I'm, I mean, how's it going to happen? <laughs> Jesus is coming, so you should not. <laughs> That's right. Basically, no, you no, know, I, I, I would find, well, no, I guess if they really, really believed, then that would scare the bejesus out of them, no pun intended, in behaving themselves. So if that's really what happened, which I doubt that it is, like you said, if he'd flicked a page earlier, if he'd flicked a, a pre, a, the page before that, his life could have been very different because he goes his entire life and the second coming never happens. So I wonder I if he would have got just, frustrated at some point. Neither does, his, neither does his coming. Yeah, yeah. Augustus, Augustine's coming and Jesus is coming. Neither of them happen. Now, no. maybe Paul, Paul thought Jesus was coming, and if you're in the middle of fucking or you were drunk when he turned up, you might miss right. the Jesus train. Oh, uh, where, where'd it go? I'm, I missed it. Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it makes sense for Paul. You don't know how long Jesus is going to be sitting at the station with the Jesus train. You know, you have to <laughs> strike while the iron is hot, you know, kind of deal. But anyway, and Paul didn't, you know, uh, as I keep saying uh, uh, with this whole thing, Paul says that Jesus told him that the end of the world was going to happen in his lifetime. So logically, Uh-oh. either Jesus was wrong right. or Jesus was lying or Jesus changed his mind, or Paul was that? making it all up. They're your Ooh. only four options, people. That's <laughs> right. it. There's no fifth option. If Jesus did change his mind, isn't there some way he could let us know? But this is, this is the thing. feel like you he know, had to? I want you, if you're a Christian, I want you to think seriously about this. And if you have Christian friends, I want you to have this conversation with them and report back to me your findings. That's, that's, that, this is the conversation. So do you realize that Paul, when he was alive and writing his epistles that make up half of the books of the Bible, believed that the end of the world was going to happen in his lifetime? Yes. And if they don't believe that, tell them, go read the fucking Bible. Second, that right, Paul says time. that yeah. Paul says that Jesus told him that in a revelation. Okay, so did the end of the world happen in Paul's lifetime? No. So what are our options? Let me go over them again. Either Jesus was lying, right, or down. Jesus, or Jesus was wrong, or Jesus changed his mind, just didn't tell anyone, or Paul <laughs> was making it all up. Right. They're your only four options. As far as I can see. Yeah. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> or no, maybe there's a fifth one. Maybe Paul misunderstood what Jesus was saying. But why go through having a revelation if you're going to misinterpret it? I mean, you, you would think that the God would make it pretty, pretty clear <laughs> what their message is. Well, you see, so... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is talking to you. He goes, oh, uh, one other thing, Paul. Uh, the end of the world's going to happen in your lifetime. Right. Let me, let me just get that. So uh, can I just clarify that, Jesus? Are you saying, are you, are you being metaphorical there? <laughs> are you like, you mean like, is this, is this symbolism? 
Uh, are you talking about like uh, some sort of spiritual Analogy? end of the world, or yeah, do you yeah, yeah. mean literal? No, no, no. I'm glad you asked, Paul. I'm glad <laughs> this. I'm glad that you good follow up. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> that's right. I'm, I'm glad you didn't just brush over this point, Paul, because I personally I think it's kind of important. And so many other people just go, okay, end of the world in my lifetime. Yep, next. I'm glad that you Fuck stopped, and, and you know that 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 shows uh, a certain amount of. Intelligence Initi- and ambition, Paul. Yeah. Uh, initiative, yeah. yeah. You're going to go far, <laughs> Paul. Uh, no, li- Paul, I literally mean. Uh, literally. I know Ray uses that word literally. out of context a lot, but literally mean the end of the world. Right, so not no, this isn't a metaphor for some... No, no. If it, Look, Paul, if it was a metaphor, if it was a parable... I right. would have fucking told you that, right? You're one of my one of my key guys. You're my man. You're not one of the great on wash where I I say I tell them something, but then secretly it's all just a parable. <laughs> this is this is the real deal. Okay, real deal. Someone made a mistake somewhere. If it ever happened. So anyway. Augustine gets baptised in 387, as does his son from the old hag, Adiodatus. Who who baptises them? uh, Ambrose? Yeah, if you're going to get it done, get it done at the very top. At the very top, good guess. Tippity top, thanks. Now, the following year, in 388... Augustine completes his work on the holiness of the Catholic Church. So let me get this straight. In two years, he goes from thinking Christianity is a bunch of jack shit, (laughs) my anal porn name, to writing an entire book justifying why it is the right religion. He don't play. Homie, do not play. Fuck (laughs) off. Within two years, because I, I didn't go into this before, but when he first meets Ambrose, he said, "Look, Ambrose, um, I can't, I can't be a Christian because I've read the the Bible, and quite frankly, it's it's a crock of shit. Uh, it doesn't make any <laughs> it's sense. It's place. full of contradictions. Yeah. It's all over the place." And uh, 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 Ambrose says to him, "Nah, nah, nah, son. What you got to understand is all the bits that don't make any sense." They're just uh, they're parables, they're <laughs> symbolism. Right. That's that's you know. That's all you need to know. You don't take. That's, that's all you need secret. to know. Anything, any yeah yeah anything that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, it's just some sort of hidden. It's a hidden hidden meaning. Uh, you know, given as some sort of a metaphor. That's right. all. And he was like, "Oh shit, dude! <laughs> yeah, yeah, damn." <laughs> okay. Um, it's all falling into place now. And we're not making this up. This is quite literally what, <laughs> what Augustus <laughs> says. Augustine, not Augustus. Right. Augustine says in his books, yeah, that, that, that's, that's how you should interpret the shit that doesn't make any sense. Oh, my God. So in, in two years, he goes from saying this is all bullshit to writing a, a major book talking about why it's fucking awesome. Then... In that same year, he and his son go back to Africa. <laughs> Come and take a look and take me away from you. Yes, I'm that a 
fucking 12-year-old girls. Um, I did want to... Before- they go... Yeah. They go back. They go back to Hippo because his mother dies and leaves him a fortune. Oh, the bitch is gone, and I got a bunch of money. Life is good. It's good to be a Christian. I, I just wanted to ask. So he so he's baptized uh, by Ambrose, and his son is baptized in Milan on Easter Vigil, April twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and three eighty seven. Did you did you read the story about he heard the story of uh, bah, 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 of Saint Anthony or Saint Antony? And that was somewhere supposedly also supposed to influence him to convert to Christianity, or has that come later? And I've got my timeline mixed up. No, that's uh, that was part of it. You can you can tell that story. I wasn't going to go into it, but if you want to tell that story, no, just just one of these other things that that doesn't make sense. And and as all the different desert stories that we've covered, remember when Alexander had part of his army in the desert, and most of them died because I guess he just decided he was a badass. There was no visions, no gods, or anything like that. Most of them died because they're in a desert without water. That's what normally happens when you're in a desert. So there was this this Saint Anthony who was considered um, he was a Christian monk from Egypt, who was considered the father of all monks, helped spread the idea of Christian monasticism, uh, giving up your earthly pursuits for a higher cause. And there's this thing where he's being tempted by God. Supposedly, he goes out into the desert to find St. Paul of Thebes, who's a better hermit than he is. And I just thought this one point was uh, interesting. So, St. Anthony is hiding in a cave to escape the demons that are being sent upon him because they're supposedly a... uh, uh, a centaur and a satyr who are temptations, who are demons, who are chasing them. And there are so many little demons in this cave that St. Anthony's servant has to carry him out of the cave because they're beating him to death. When the hermits gather around over St. Anthony's course because he was beat to death, he is suddenly revived and he demands that his servant take him back into the cave where the demons were beating him. And when he calls out to the demons and they come back, and they're ready to rip him to shreds. All of a sudden, there's this bright light that flashes, and the demons run away. And St. Anthony knew that the light must be coming from God. And he asked God, "Why, you know, where were you before when the demons were attacking me? And God says, I was here, but I would see and abide to see thy battle. And because you... And because thou hast manly, mainly fought and well-maintained thy battle, I shall make thy name to be spread throughout the world. So again, just one of these stories you hear. There's no way to prove that it's true, but it's really awesome. And there's some ego involved where he's going to take this guy's name and spread it throughout. He's going to be famous forever. And you, and you never know it's true. Obviously, I don't think the story's true, but you never know what uh, Augustine heard. Really? When he, no, but you know what I'm saying. I don't know when Augustine heard. You don't think... You don't think the story of him being attacked by a centaur is no, true, no. really? I, I, th- you, I think the centaur... You fucking cynic. The centaur was true, but the other demon wasn't. No, but j- just oh, right. you, okay. you, you just wonder what he hears and, and what goes into him making of this decision. Because it is a big decision if he is truly sincere. But I think, like you were saying earlier, he, he and Ambrose probably saw eye to eye in a lot of things. And there was a chance to get in on the ground floor of something that was going to be very powerful one day. Yeah, I, I, I mean, call me, call me a cynic, but I, I think that's what's going on here. That, uh, that makes the most sense to me. That Ambrose sees Augustine as a young version of himself, and controlling the church is the new being a senator. Really, yeah. you know, fuck being a governor, being a senator. You can control everything if you're, uh, you know, uh, one of these uh, bishops. Yeah, it's literally- a huge amount of. Power. I'm sorry. You you literally get to say what is right and wrong. I mean, that's power. 
And people may not realize that, but yeah, when you were a, a bishop, as Augustine becomes, you uh, are a literally the authority in the that judge. region. It's yeah. like being it's like being a governor. Yeah, you are a judge, you're a politician, you're a religious authority as well as a temporal authority. It's not like we think of a bishop today <clears throat> even though, you know, bishops still have a, a fair amount of power in in different even in Australia, they they have influence with politicians and the media and businessmen and that kind of stuff. But he had he had his own temporal political power mm-hmm. uh, and wealth associated with that. So a lot, a, lot of, a lot of that stuff going on. So I think that was part of the attraction. Um, anyway, uh, and, and I'm not saying there was no genuine religious uh, uh, feeling as part of that with either Augustine or Ambrose. Maybe they did buy into Christianity, but how much of this was genuine religious Conviction versus political opportunism, it's hard to say. I would, if I had to guess, I'd say it's 80 20, 80% religious, uh, sorry, 80% political opportunism and 20% yeah. uh, religious conviction. Um, just because of their story and their character and what they do and how they play. You know, what they, it's not necessarily. Um, just what they say—it's what they do, what they did before, and what they do after. You have you need to go into reading the quality of their character as a human, right? Right. So anyway, uh, he goes back to Hippo because his mummy dies. Finally, gets rid of the old bitch, and he's <laughs> going to inherit her fortune. He and his son go back. They're going to live like kings. Nice. And we're led to believe that he doesn't hook up with his old lover for a random booty call. But I don't yeah. believe that, partly because we know during this period he wrote this song. Stop me now, listen to me now. I'm lasting 20 rounds. And if you want me, then come on, get me now. Is you with me now? Then biggie, biggie bounce. I know you dig the way I switch my style. Holla, holla. People sing around, now people gather around, now people jump around. Now, I think there's enough evidence there that he was that getting his freak on yeah. when he went back. Yeah, I mean, well, you can't tell me that he went back to the hometown where his lover was and he didn't yeah. get his freak on with her just a little bit. At the very least, he puts a scarf around his face, finds her so he can see her and she can't see him. He's seen how much she's aged. Has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? Is it still the same? But if he did care about her, he probably wanted to hit it anyways. Hey, thanks for everything. And then he goes back and he parties with the son because they got money now. 
But then his son Adiadatus dies. Well, I think that was getting just his freak God on too putting much. him back on the proper path. I think is what you meant to say. Mm, maybe he was getting a little bit too uppity. His son. Um, anyway, this kind of uh, seems to be a turning point for Augustine. His son dies, uh, and he gives Augustine then gives all of his money away, except the family home, which he turns into a monastery for himself and some of his friends, including right. Alpius, his uh, 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 man friend, I think is. That was an awkward moment. How they refer to for that pause. Yeah. Now the the. Now, at this point in time, uh, the Catholics in North Africa, of whom Augustine is one, are still battling other forms of Christianity. Um, The Donatists uh, that we talked about back in the Constantine episodes, remember these were the Christians mostly centered in this region of North Africa who believed that the, the, the bishops and the priests who gave in to the persecutions, gave up their holy books or their holy relics, shouldn't be allowed back into the fold afterwards because they betrayed the religion. Um, They're still around and still quite powerful in North Africa. If you recall, Constantine gave up trying to stop them. He said, stop that. And they said, fuck you. And he went, oh, (laughs) shit, all right, whatever. Just go back to Africa and leave me alone. Yeah. now, the, Mani- the Manichaeans are also still there, and Augustine is now obviously fighting against the Manichaeans. Um, and, you know, the Catholics decide they need a smart, well-educated guy in the region to be the point man against the Donatists and the Manichaeans uh, and the Arians and the Pelagians. Um, there's a whole bunch of, of quote-unquote, heresies from the view of the, the Catholics at this point. So in 391, Augustine is ordained a priest. Uh, nice. in in uh, in Hippo. Now, he wrote his book that I mentioned before on the holiness of the Catholic Church in 388 mm-hmm. when he was just a lay Christian. He wasn't even a priest then. Dang. So now he becomes a priest and then he eventually gets made a bishop. Now, this, this region, uh, Hippo, uh, now known as Anaba in Algeria, it was a complete backwater. You think he's he's been in Rome, he's been in Milan, yeah. now he's in Hippo. There's like five guys and a dog, <laughs> and uh, the guys are sharing the dog around each other uh, at the time, uh, one night a week, and then right. the weekends the dog gets off, <laughs> basically. Um <laughs> Anaba today, uh, by the way, in Algeria um, is a little. It's the fourth largest city in Algeria, population of about two hundred and sixty thousand people. Okay, it's uh, one of the leading industrial centers of Algeria. It's a Moving coastal up. city. Yeah. Moving on up. Moving um, on up. Yeah. So it's uh, it's still around. It's it's actually been around for a long time. There's evidence of people living there two hundred thousand BCE. So two hundred been around, yeah. Um, there's evidence of early human occupation. Wow, two hundred thousand BCE. Two, okay, so right. yeah, yeah. So anywho, uh, he's in a backwater. So this has got to be slightly frustrating. He, they make him a, a, a priest and, and then a bishop, but not of anywhere good. He's not 
the Bishop of Milan. He's not the Bishop of Rome. He's not the Bishop of Constantinople. He's the Bishop of Bumfuck, basically. <laughs> now, if you're the Bishop of Bumfuck <laughs> and you're highly intelligent and highly articulate, as he was, right? it's going to drive you a little bit mad. And he was already a little bit <laughs> mad, this guy, as we've seen. Um, you know, he, he's a bit of a mama's boy. He joined the Manichaeans when they were getting persecuted. He he uh, uh, agrees to marry a 12-year-old, gets rid of his lover of 15 years. He's, he's a bit fucking broken, yeah. this guy, is my, is my estimation of him. And now he's stuck in this backwater. Well, the- but... I think we, we earlier on the previous episode we were talking about how he was able to write so much. I think maybe one of the things being in this area with not a lot going on, and he's going to be here for quite some time, maybe that gives him the relative free time to sit down and really pump out some pages. But that's just a guess on my part. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, okay. So that's what he does in his spare time in the backwater is he pumps out books. I mean... He can't stand up in Milan or in Rome or in Constantinople and give eloquent speeches. Um, he can do that in, in Hippo, but there's five men and a dog, and the dog is the best reader, is the most educated out of them. So he, he can give articulate speeches, and they're all like, whoa. <laughs> so, and, and half of those five men are... Donatists and and Manichaeans and Pelagians. So he turns his intellect to writing and he churns out the stuff. Now, he wrote a lot, but three of the most important books in all of Christian history Mm -hmm. were written over the next 40 years by Augustine. Confessions, uh, his Confessions, which is the considered probably the, the the first autobiography in ever written, first western autobiography anyway ever written. The City of God Against the Pagans, its full title, as I mentioned mm. before, and De Trinitate, On the Trinity. These three books formed the cornerstone of Western Christian tradition for 1,500 years. That's impressive. you got to give them that. Now, how many of those have you studied, Ray, in your preparation for these episodes? I looked for the comic book version of all of them. Um, I tried to read some of the City of God, but it was like, oh, my God, dude, just get to the point. Talk. Anyway, so I skimmed through the City of God. Steve Ellis, if you're listening to this, uh, Ray wants you to make a comic book version of uh, Confessions. If you could. There's a lot of fucking... (laughs) So that'd be good, and and some of the, some stealing of fruit, which we'll get to. So, um, I, well, I, I've I've read uh, not all of, but I had a good crack at reading both Confessions and City of God, mm-hmm. uh, all fifty books of them yeah. um, uh, uh, over the last few months, and. Um, yeah, wow. And and people who follow me on Facebook know that I've been posting bits and pieces up on Facebook and. My Christian friends have been absolutely just shitting themselves uh, as a result of it. Um, 
because I've been picking out the horrendous shit in these books, and they're like, well, that's just mean. <laughs> like they, you it's know, his words. That's what I keep saying. They're like, well, you know, somebody um, accused me of trying to play a game of intellectual superiority with Augustine. I'm like, I'm just posting what he fucking said. That's a, yeah. I didn't even provide any commentary to it. I just ah. said, hey, Augustine said this. You know, I didn't commentate on it at all. I saved that for this show. Anyway, let's start with Confessions. Mm-hmm. So Confessions is is basically Augustine telling God how awesome he thinks he is. <laughs> it's 23 books of, wow, God, you're really awesome. No, no, really. No, I mean it. Sure. No, hey, 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 no, fuck me. You are Takes one no awesome. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while he tells his life story. And right. it's a like uh, all seriousness. It's a fascinating story now, as much uh, even more so would have been then. Like he's not writing it, positioning himself as holier than thou. He's writing it as saying, "Listen, when I was younger, I was a cunt. <laughs> I loved to fuck. I loved to steal fruit." <laughs> Not because I was hungry or anything, just because I was a little cunt. Yeah. I like to steal fruit and then I would just throw it away because I was a little cunt. <laughs> um, that's, you know, and I fucked the bitches. Oh, man, I did. I, and I invented hip hop. <laughs> I did all these things uh, because I was an asshole right. is, is how he starts off his, yeah. his, his autobiography. He's a bad boy. Yeah. It's the story of his conversion to Christianity. He was about 40. Uh, when he wrote this. Now, it's fascinating for a whole bunch of reasons. First, it's the first Western autobiography ever written. Secondly, he, he tells this brutal story about himself. Yeah. Thirdly, it, it, it's kind of the, the first time in Western literature where somebody writes down what is going on inside of their mind mm-hmm. um, it, it, with all of his guilt and his anxiety and his uncertainty and uh, his doubt. Yeah, and following the it's, Manichaean it's religion. All, I mean, he just puts it all out there. It. How do you know? You haven't read it. I skimmed. You read the Wikipedia entry about you it. God right? You're goddamn right I did. I ain't wasting my time <laughs> with some religious claptrap. He also was mad at himself for believing in astrology, but that's what I use, so I don't know. I understand what he was... Anyway. <laughs> And it's in a dialogue with God. It's in the form of like an extended prayer to God. Um, it's a conversation with God, basically, that he's having. All along saying, wow, God, you are. Let me tell you how fucking awesome you are. Awesome. Um, now, he, he talks a lot about the love that God has for him that he let him do all this stuff and then still let, you know, didn't kill him, basically. But the, 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 And this is what I've talked about in a previous episode. Like uh, Christians will tell me today, no, Christianity is all about love. Jesus is all about love. God's all about love. He's a God of love. It's all about love. But not as far as Augustine's concerned. Like the, God, the, 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 the dominant picture of God mm-hmm. that he depicts in his writings particularly in confessions or starting in confessions, is a God who is an angry, punitive, vengeful God. Uh, He writes, 
I broke all your lawful bounds and did not escape your lash. For what man can escape it? You were always present, angry and merciful at once, strewing the pangs of bitterness over all my lawless pleasures to look for others unallied by pain. You meant me to find them nowhere but in yourself, O Lord, for you teach us by inflicting pain. You smite so that you may heal, and you kill us so that we may not die away from you. Uh, er? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is That's classic Augustine. Like Paul's epistles, mate, who inspired him, it makes very little sense. Right. Um, but this idea of a God who will hurt you out of love mm, kinky. <laughs> becomes a dominant theme in Christianity as a result. Yeah. Um, partly of Augustine really exploring this and, and with, a, with, with, with a huge amount of intellectual um, force. Yeah. So he talks about in Confessions how he was a little cunt and then he grew up to be a big cunt and wrote City of God Against the Pagans. Now... City of God Against the Pagans is a horrible book written by a horrible little man. Let's be quite frank. Now, any, like, Christians, uh, even Christians who will tell me that they're not big fans of Augustine will still defend Augustine and defend this book. But it is a horrible, horrible book. I'm not saying that the guy wasn't brilliant. Like, I, uh, to me, he's close to um, Winston Churchill. Amazing orator, mm-hmm. amazing writer, huge intellect, just was a cunt. Uh, <laughs> right? Uh, probably had a lot of good ideas and a lot of horrible ideas. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not trying to portray him as being all bad. Um you know, you, you know, you, my my prevailing theory of human nature is outside of psychopaths and sociopaths. Most of us uh, uh, do some good and do some bad. Um, some of us do more good than bad. Some of us do more bad than good. Thank you. Um, uh, but everybody is a mixture of good and bad, generally speaking, including these big names of history including Napoleon and Julius Caesar and Alexander and Stalin and Churchill and FDR and Truman and Augustine and Paul and Peter and all these guys. When you look at them as humans and you scrape away the mythology and the gold lining and the propaganda that they've been buried under for hundreds or thousands of years and you search for them as a human being, you tend to find that there's some good and there's some bad in everyone. Mm -hmm. And... And I think it's good for us to do that. So when I point out the bad shit that Augustine said in some of these books, I'm not trying to vilify him. I'm not trying to say he was all bad. I'm not trying to say that he didn't have some good ideas or say some good things. I'm saying that he was complex and he had a lot of horrible ideas as well as good ideas and we should... Just ex- be honest enough right. uh, to accept that about Take him, as he him along with all these other yeah. people, right? Yeah. Now, I'm going to highlight some of the negative stuff because 
For the last 16, 1700 years, he's received massive amounts of overly positive propaganda, as he's called a saint for fuck's sake. He's Saint Augustine. So I figure once you've been given the title Saint, uh, you're open. You're an open target for me to point out why. Why maybe that's not really a justified title. Should be able to handle it. Yeah, turn the other cheek. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. If you don't like it, turn the other cheek. So uh, let's talk about God, City of God Against the Pagans. Now, he writes this book, all 32 volumes of it, after the sack of Rome by Alaric. Mm-hmm. Now, as we've talked about in previous episodes, what happened after the sack of Rome is the pagans who were still around said, there you go. That's what happens when you stop sacrificing to the gods is Rome gets destroyed. And Augustine wrote this book, or 32 books, um, to be frank. And a book back then was you know, probably a, a, you know, a scroll, so 32 scrolls. Um, he, he wrote as a defense of Christianity and an explanation of why God let Rome or wanted Rome to be sacked. Yeah, he's trying to console the Christians who are freaking out at this point. Right. And again, like Big Paulie Walnuts, uh, one of his students, he says, look, it could have been a lot worse. That's his basic argument. (laughs) He says, look, you know, um, throughout history, cities have been sacked and pillaged. And this one wasn't as bad as those ones. Like... You know, we Rome wasn't raised to the ground. There's still some buildings. Like other yeah. cities have been. Yeah. And, you know, the savage barbarians, as he calls the Goths, never, ever, as far as I can tell, mentions that they were Aryan Christians. He refers to them as savage barbarians. Um, they said that anyone who took refuge in churches would be spared, pagan and Christian alike particularly in the churches to Peter and Paul. Mm -hmm. So he's like, well, look, you know, God did that. God was merciful. He let even pagans who hid out in his churches be spared. So come on, you know, that's pretty good. You got it. You got even pagans should be like, hey, thank you, God, for not making all of us get raped and tortured (laughs) and murdered. I'm going to convert now. Yeah. 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 Now, there's some, you know, some of my favorite bits in the City of God I want to talk about, read out, highlight. Chapter 28 is one of my favorite chapters. This is the chapter where Augustine blames women who got raped for being too proud. Oh. Bear with me, I'm going to read this because it's pretty good. It's good shit. The, the title of the chapter is By What Judgment of God the Enemy Was Permitted to Indulge His Lust on the Bodies of Continent Christians. Continent, meaning they um, were able to hold their <sighs> shit in their pants. Right. Um, unlike Augustine, as we know, who, who was incontinent. Maybe he was continent at this He stage. needed prayer. Uh-huh. Let not your life then be a burden to you, O faithful servants of Christ, Though your chastity was made the sport of your enemies. A.K.A. Don't be sad that you got raped. (laughs) 
You have a grand and true consolation if you maintain a good conscience. And you know that you did not consent to the sins of those who were permitted to commit sinful outrage upon you. And if you should ask why this permission was granted, indeed it is a deep providence of the Creator and Governor of the world. And unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Nevertheless, faithfully interrogate your own souls, whether or not you have been unduly puffed up by your integrity and continence and chastity, and whether you have not been so desirous of human praise that is accorded to these virtues that you have envied some who possess them. So uh, just to translate for a second, Mm -hmm. he says, listen, you women who got raped, be honest. Were you a little bit proud of the fact that you were a virgin? Or that uh, you weren't you weren't uh, the town whore, because if you were a little bit pri- prideful of that, if you were a little bit too proud of that, maybe that's why God decided you needed to get raped. Oh God! Let me continue. And yet, if your answer is that, as I have supposed it might be. Do not marvel that you have lost that by which you can win men's praise and retain that which cannot be exhibited to men. If you did not consent to sin, it was because God added his aid to his grace that it might not be lost, and because shame before men succeeded to human glory that it might not be loved. So in other words... um. God didn't want you to be praised by men Mm -hmm. for being a virgin, so he let you get raped, so you would be a little bit more humble. Isn't there... Because humility is good. Isn't there another way to find humility? No, this is the only way, (laughs) Ray. You've got to be raped. Just sorry. Sorry. But in both respects, even the faint-hearted among you have a consolation, approved by the one experience, chastened by the other, justified by the one, corrected by the other. As to those whose hearts, when interrogated, reply that they have never been proud of the virtue of virginity, widowhood, or matrimonial chastity, but, condescending to those of lower state, rejoice with trembling, in these gifts of God, and that they have never envied anyone the like excellences of sanctity and purity, but rose superior to human applause, which is wont to be abundant in proportion to the rarity of the virtue applauded, and rather desired that their own number be increased, than that by smallness of their numbers each of them should be conspicuous. Even to such fa- so basically, okay, if you say that you're a virgin or you're a widow or you're married but chaste, and you say, hey, I was never proud of that. Seriously, no, I was I, I trembled in fear of the Lord. I was just I was really, really humble about those things. I never got uppity about it at all, right? Even such faithful women, I say, must not complain that permission was given to the barbarians, aka other Christians, so grossly to outrage them. Nor must they allow themselves to believe that God overlooked their character when he permitted acts which no one with impunity commits. For some most flagrant and wicked desires are allowed to free play at present by the secret judgment of God and are reserved to the public 
uh, and final judgment. Moreover, it is possible that those Christian women who are unconscious of any undue pride on account of their virtuous chastity, whereby they sinlessly suffered the violence of their captors, had some lurking infirmity which might have betrayed them into a proud and contemptuous bearing had they not been subjected to the humiliation that befell them in the taking of the city. Translation. As therefore some... Translation... Okay, so you were were a virgin um, and you were very chaste, but you weren't haughty about that. You were very humble about that. But God could see that at some point in the future... Oh, God. You were going to become proud of the fact that you were being a good, virginal, chaste Christian. So he took it away from you. So... To prevent that from happening (laughs) in the future, he had you get raped. You're raped, so you're not a virgin, so you can't be proud anymore. You're welcome. Praise the Lord. (laughs) It's fucked up. A a quick question. I'm sorry, quick question. So from what you've read, would you say that, I mean, it sounds like this guy is thinking that God is responsible for everything that happens. I'm just... I don't know if he ever went into the whole independence thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. But it just oh, it yeah. just sounds like yeah. God let this happen as opposed to God just controls the, the broad strokes. But anyway. I'm no, concerned. no. He, he He's a big believer that God controls everything. And, okay. and he gets into that and tries to reconcile that with free will. I'll get into that. Okay. Let me just finish up this yeah. cha- this 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 chapter. As therefore, some when, some men were removed by death that no wickedness might change their disposition. Translation, God let some good Christian men in Rome get killed to prevent them from later falling into sin. What's the point of living? Sorry, sorry. So these women were outraged, lest prosperity should corrupt their modesty. Neither those women then, who were already puffed up by the circumstance that they were still virgins, nor those who might have been so puffed up had they not been exposed to the violence of the enemy, lost their chastity, but rather gained humility. The former were saved from pride, already cherished, the latter from pride that would shortly have grown upon them. There, ladies and gentlemen, exhibit A, the foundational theologian of Christianity for 1,600 years, explaining oh. why God needed you to get raped and or murdered, even if you were a good person, to stop you from theoretically becoming a bad person at some point in the future. And by bad person, he means being proud of the fact that you were a good person. For obeying the rules in the first place. So rape now, no sin later. And if you want to understand why the Dark Ages were the Dark Ages and why Christianity (laughs) is so fucked up, (laughs) go no further than that. (laughs) Exhibit A. Oh, my God. Now, I posted something about this on Facebook in the last couple of weeks, and I had various people, um, Mm -hmm. some Christians, other just people who uh, like to debate me about anything, um, give me this argument about, well, you know, it's wrong to, to, to try and judge Augustine by the standards of our time. 
You have to mm. judge him by the standards of his time. That sucks and, in his time too. Sorry. Well, that's my point. Saying you had to be raped because you were too good was a fucked up concept in his time. Like, <laughs> Augustine like was preceded. Sorry, Augustine was preceded by Aristotle and Socrates and Plato by seven or eight hundred years, by the Stoics mm-hmm. and the Epicureans by seven hundred years, by Cicero, or, or do you think Cicero would have put forward that argument? Well, yeah, you good uh, Roman citizens deserve to be raped because God thought you were going to be bad in the future. No fucking way. A Cicero or Augustus, no way Augustus or Marcus Aurelius in the second century would have put forward. These ideas were despicable, vile ideas for a thousand years before Augustine put the foot. So don't give me this bullshit fucking argument that, well, you know, you have to look at... Yeah, like the only reason this was acceptable in the time is because Christians were fucked up in the time. Like when this came out, Augustine should have been stoned to death and his house should have been burnt to the ground. The only reason it wasn't, and the only reason he wasn't disowned, the only reason the rest of the Christians didn't go, oh, shit, what? Oh, uh, Augustine who? What? No, what? We, no, never heard of Augustine. Don't know, who you're talk- yeah. Yeah, don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> it's because it was fucked up. Like, that is that, you know. Anyway. Yeah, so, so the, the, Stoics don't, uh, the Stoics think it's a bad idea. He thinks it's a good idea. Well, not a good idea, but that, is, that it's understandable. And just, just imagine if someone's raped today, they go to the hospital, and they bring a priest in. And the priest goes, well, you know... I mean, she would beat the shit out of him right then and there for saying that. So, so yeah, the time, the whole context of time is bullshit. I mean, it still does happen in, in some places. Like, there's been a big sort of scandal in, in um, Latter-day Saints, Mormons, recently. I don't know if you saw this, but going back a few months ago, um, Trump, one of Trump's guys, I think he was... Uh, not chief of staff, might have been chief of staff or something in the White House, one of his guys in the White House anyway. It was a Mormon and and it mm-hmm. ca- he'd been with Trump a long time, I think. He like came out of Trump Tower. It came out that um, he had been married, he had been divorced several times and uh, had a record of battering his wives. Oh, yeah. And they they spoke out about it and he was forced to resign from the White House and then it came out, a number of other women, um, Mormons, came forward and said that it had happened to them too, and uh, not with him, but with their spouses. And Because and, what this White House guy's wives were saying is when they, when they went to their bishops, mm-hmm. their Mormon bishops, and told them you know, that their husband was beating them and they wanted to leave him, they were advised to stay with him because you know, it was all a test. You know, basically, that's the way the Mormons is like. Well, you know, God is testing you. This is an opportunity for you to find, you know, be more righteous and more religious Fuck. and learn humility. And so Guess this I kind, failed. this kind of shit still goes on. 
Yeah, look, if you really love your wife, you'll beat her. Uh, this is my theory because it gives her an opportunity to become a better person, basically. <laughs> so, like, these ideas still persist today is is my point. Um, just continuing on before we wrap up, yeah. Augustine goes on in The City of God to say that any woman who committed suicide during the sacking of Rome to prevent herself from being raped and tortured oh God. committed a grave sin. Because if she just let herself get raped and tortured... Mm-hmm. she would be sin-free. The rapist would be committing the sin, not her. She would be right. blameless. Okay, you'd, get, you'd suffer a little bit, um, but at least you wouldn't go to hell for all eternity. But if you commit suicide, you're actually worse than the rapist. Because you've thrown away the greatest gift God can give you, which is life. Yeah. So he condemns people who committed suicide to stop themselves from getting tortured and raped. Um, he explains why good people were tortured, raped, and killed along with bad people. Because one of the questions was, why didn't God just let the bad people get killed and raped? Yeah. Why did the good people? He writes, God is pleased to visit with temporal punishments the profligate manners of a community. They are punished together, not because they have spent an equally corrupt life, but because the good as well as the wicked, though not equally with them, love this present life while they ought to hold it cheap, that the wicked, being admonished and reformed by their example, may lay hold of life eternal. So, again, this is, you know, I talked before about the Manichaeanism and this old idea that all matter is evil and life is evil and it's all evil. So this is where uh, Augustine is really merging a lot of those concepts with some of the stuff that he's found in the, the epistles of Paul. And and he's talking about, yeah, you know what? Well, God let you get tortured and killed and raped because you enjoyed life. You thought life was good. and Life is not good. You shouldn't be enjoying your life. You shouldn't be happy. Um, life is bad. Mm. And God wanted you to get raped and tortured and killed so you would understand that life is bad and you'd be miserable. If that only, that only by being miserable can you be happy when <laughs> you die. So what you're saying is um, don't take this life too seriously. Focus on the afterlife. And if you're all comfy and cozy and happy now, then you're focused on the wrong thing. And exactly. you deserve what's coming to you. Exactly. Be miserable. Rule number one of Jesus Fight Club. Be a virgin. (laughs) Be a virgin. Don't be proud. Don't enjoy life. Think about what's coming afterwards. And they should be grateful to God for this. He writes, and that you that are yet alive, this is due to God who spares you that you may be admonished to repent and reform your lives. It is he who has permitted you, ungrateful as you are, to escape the sword of the enemy by calling yourselves his servants or by finding asylum in the sacred places of the martyrs. Can I resign my Christianity? I mean, do I have to? Is there another God that I could apply to? No. No. Well, (laughs) you may. Yeah, well, yeah, you could be a Manichaean. Um, that you know, Not for much longer, yeah, yeah. So he's merging all of this uh Manichaean stuff and Christian stuff together, 
he gets and and we're running out of time, but he gets into this um, in the city of God against the pagans, basically saying, "Look, the majority of the book is him saying, look, Rome had a lot of problems before it became a hundred percent Christian, so you can't blame it on us. Let me mm-hmm. count the ways that it had problems." And then he goes right back into Rome's history and talks about Caesar and Augustus and Cicero and Sulla and Marius and the Gracchi and all of our friends from our other show um, and talks about lots of all the problems and goes, look, you know, their gods didn't save them from all of that. So really their gods were no better than our gods. Um, and it kind of, it's, it's a bit of a distraction tactic. But anyway, we will get into continuing to discuss the city of God and the role that Augustine played in setting the stage for the Dark Ages in uh, our next episode. And if I could, um, I want next time we're together, I want to cover his speech about the number six, which is not dissimilar to Louis Farrakhan's speech about the number 19. It's mystical, it's magical, it's important. (laughs) Okay.